Can I help you? Are you the supervisor here? Yes, who are you? I'm Inspector Raffer, the United States Customs Service. Has all this stuff passed through customs already? No, this is the bonded area. Well, then tell me something. Answer a question for me. How can a black man, dressed like me, just march into your warehouse, walk into the bonded area, and start poking around without anyone asking me any questions whatsoever? Well, I don't know. Well, thank you. That's, that's the answer I was looking for. Why don't you guys just give me your ID numbers, because somebody's going to lose their job behind this. This guy gave me a match, for Christ's sake. You gave him a match? Listen, listen to me. I do security checks all over the nation. And with the exception of Cleveland, this place has the worst security in the nation. Now, I suggest you guys call your wives, because we're going to be here all night. We're going to check the background of each and every crate in this section, starting with this one right here. Lights, camera, action. Welcome back to another episode of Happy Hour Films. As you all know, I'm Ross Bacon. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike McGuigan. Mike, say hi. How is everyone doing? And as you should know by now, we're two guys drinking. We talk about movies now. We are in week three of Career Enders December. We have discussed why Kevin Costner no longer has a career. We discussed why John Travolta no longer has a career. And, uh, this week, though, we're getting to a man who I think has is slowly getting back to where he was, at least hopefully. And we'll be talking about Eddie Murphy. And so I don't think he'll ever get back to where he was, but he can get back to an A-lister. Yeah, I'm thinking mostly about doing funny things again, you know? <laughs> like, that's what I mean by where he was. And tonight we'll be talking about one of his funniest. It's certainly the, the one that skyrocketed him into fame, which is Beverly Hills Cop. And then we're going to talk about the one that I'm not sure entirely was the one that killed his career, but it was one that definitely cost him an Oscar. <laughs> so we're gonna be talking about Norbit as well, and we've talked about some garbage on this on this podcast, but this is um, Norbit's right up there. <laughs> Norbit is right up there with some of the worst that we've talked about. But uh, before we get into that, though, we talk about what we're drinking. So, Mike, what do you got? All right. So, are you aware that we're releasing this episode on the first day that Yule would be celebrated? <laughs> yeah. So cool. I decided since my last name is of. Uh, Gaelic and Nordic descent. I'm like, I decided to go with a Yule theme these next two weeks. Nice, nice. So this week I have Einstock, which is an Icelandic brewing company with Viking. Fuck out of here, dude. <laughs> no fucking way. Why can I manage to randomly pick the same beer? <laughs> the same exact beer. Exact same beer. But so I have their, the first one I'm drinking is their Doppelbach, which means double, like two beer in German. Oh, oh. But I also have their uh, winter ale. Okay. Yeah. I'm only doing the one. I'm only doing the one from them. <laughs> but that's funny. That's the first time we've ever done that, right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think we might've gotten the same brewery before, but not the yeah. same beer. I think that I think that is uh that's accurate. Yeah, that's funny. All right, so how is it? I haven't tasted mine yet. All right, so I actually have had both of these already, and the Doppelbach is amazing. Okay. It's like a dark lager that's in the uh I want to say it's seven percent. Six point seven percent. Six point seven, yeah. And it like as far as dark lagers go, it's amazing. All righty. So as Mike said. We're both doing Einstock to start. And uh, 
Yeah, this is only available through the holiday season. Our winter celebration German-style Doppelbach is worth the wait. Malted barley and chocolate tones define their traditional style, while the robust aroma and long, mellow finish make this the perfect companion for holiday adventures. Uh, so, here we go. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's not bad. And uh, I do like the can art, where it's a little Viking with... Um, reindeer antlers and a rudolph nose that's pretty fun so my favorite beer from them is their summer beer where it's the viking with the sunglasses i haven't, I haven't seen that like einstein is good i really i really do like their beers they're really good beers yeah i'm a big fan and it's funny that they're from stratford connecticut <laughs> they're not like truly iceland <laughs> it's not brewed and made in iceland and whatever here you can find it in the domestic section. So that'll be our first little microtime. Then we'll we'll break off. Michael do another from the beloved Einstock, and I'll do a. Uh, I'm going back to my fest beers, but um, first we got to talk about Beverly Hills Cop from 1984, directed by Martin Brest, and we have talked about two of this man's movies before. We have talked about Geely and Meet Joe Black. So we're not unfamiliar with Mr. Breast. Uh, but this is the done... first time we're talking about him in a truly positive light. Yeah, there won't be any negatives. Like, what was he doing? What the hell's wrong with this guy? Like, why did he do this to human humanity? <laughs> no, as far as, like, action comedies, this is about as good as you get. It's pretty great. It is pretty great. And... There is, I hadn't seen this movie, and I'm going to say probably, I don't know, not 10 years, but definitely, I think, more than five. Like, it had been a while since I'd seen this movie. This is only and, my second time seeing it. I remember we watched it one time with my dad when we went over to his apartment. This was one of the movies we rented. Nice. Yeah, now, as far as the second and third one are concerned, I've only seen each of those one time. And I've I think never I've, seen I think I've seen one, the one scene it's where he pretends to be, I think he does be a construction contractor or something in the second one. I think I've seen that scene like twice, but there is a future for Axel Foley because recently as of like a week ago, the trailer for the Netflix one, number four, the Beverly Hills Cop Axel F is just kind of just came out. Now, granted, yes, Eddie's looking a little older. He's not the young firebrand that he was in this, but Looks like he's going to be going against Kevin Bacon with the help of Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. I think that's what's going to be happening. So it looks very interesting. Of course, obviously, since it's Eddie and Axel, I'm absolutely going to be watching it on Netflix. Like it's, But the thing with this movie, just like with coming to America and trading places around the same time, this movie, and I believe, um, what was the one with Nick Nolte that we just talked? 48 Hours. That's the one we talked about as well. That was around this time as well. And with that stretch of movies that he had there, you pretty much, he couldn't miss. Like, he could not miss with these movies. So, and this is the top of that peak. So, like, watching the movies in this peak period, I can't help but think that Will Smith watched these movies and just did a PG version, like a PG imitation of him, to make his Fresh Prince of Bel-Air persona. Oh, absolutely. And <laughs> it's 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 like, there's, three, there's two different paths that broke off from Eddie Murphy's career. There is the Will Smith path, which was the family-friendly, 
like, but still, like, make white people nervous because I'm an urban black guy, like, vibe. Like, but I'm still family friendly. Don't worry about that. I, I will not make, I will not curse. Or the worst I'll say is maybe shit. You know, that's the worst thing to say. But then there was Chris Rock. Chris Rock, on the other hand, was, like, saw Eddie as a stand-up. It was like, that's what I want to do, and became Chris Rock because of that. And obviously, the two have very different comedic styles, you know. Uh, unfortunately, Chris kind of fell into the family-friendly stuff at, at a certain point, but at that point, he'd already been Chris Rock, so he could make his money however he wanted to, you know. And it's funny because the two styles met at the Oscars two years ago. <laughs> Yep, and uh, ironically enough, the family-friendly one slapped the shit out of the unfriendly-friendly one. And ever since, we've been unwillingly subjected to the Will Smith family drama that no one could possibly care about. <laughs> That's But, like, when when he walks into the hotel and makes the big scene, I'm like, oh, I, this is a scene right out of the Fresh Prince. He just wouldn't say the N-word. Dude, that, that rant... It's one of the funniest things ever because just the way and it's it's what he does this whole movie. Basically, this whole movie is a di- a series of skits of Eddie Murphy as Axel Foley talking his way into places by being a character. Yeah, and it's kind of loosely strung together by this murder plot of Mikey Tandino, who would have died regardless in Detroit had he not stolen from Victor Maitland. He would have done because what do we say when he we we meet Mikey in Detroit as Axel has come back to his apartment? It's a rundown, beat up apartment complex in Detroit in 1984, so it's not great. He Axel's coming up the stairs and he sees his door is freaked open a little bit, it's cocked open a little bit, and he goes in and Mikey's just sitting at the table eating a sandwich. If this was anybody but a cop, he'd be shot dead on sight. Yep. You know, he would be almost immediately dead. And even if he did survive that encounter, managed to go to the bar that they go to after that, he's just walking up to, like, pool games and saying, 100 bucks, you can't make that shot. Okay, you you made, you were able to pay the first guy, but you clearly only have, like, 20 bucks left, and you're clearly a degenerate gambler, so you're going to be owing someone money by the end of this night and probably dead in a gutter. Mikey was not long for this world. No, no, no. It, like going through these movies, there's like specific scenes that stick out to me. Like when uh, Damon Wayans is like the <laughs> Damon Wayans as fruit guy yeah. in, the, in the hotel. You what if I just bananas. need a couple of bananas? He's like, well, the plate costs twelve fifty. He's like, yeah, but he's like, and you have bananas, you can have whatever fruit you want. He just comes. <laughs> I just want a couple bananas, and he just like picks up a bunch and hands them to, and just goes, "Shh." You take those bananas. So great, (laughs) and then and especially like, well, then there's that. Damon Wayans has a little tiny cameo in this, well before he was Damon Wayans. Like he wasn't even a thought in Hollywood's mind at this point. The Wayans brothers wasn't a thing yet, and right. And I'm pretty sure Eddie Murphy was involved in them getting into Hollywood, too. So, like, Eddie was always looked out for his comedic, you know, his comedic brethren, I guess you'd say. But even funnier is noticing that Jonathan Banks is in this movie. Now, people nowadays definitely know him as Mike the Cleaner from Breaking Bad. That's Jonathan Banks. 
what people probably don't know is that Jonathan Banks used to have hair and would play a tough guy in Beverly Hills Cop, or he was in Airplane four years before as one of the air traffic controllers. He has been around Hollywood much longer than Breaking Bad, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, that's... That's... Oh, God. There's so many scenes in this movie that, like, you can't even... Like, they're all great. Like, every... Every Eddie Murphy scene in this movie is a hit. It's phenomenal. It is phenomenal. And it's even funnier because he is able to do the comedic stuff, obviously, because he's one of the funniest dudes ever. And then he he is able to do the dramatic stuff, too. Like, he's able to be a little intimidating. He's able to be a little ice cold when he needs to be. That's you, the you... scene that his acting sticks out the most to me is, like, when he's in the police station talking to the cops. And he's like, he's like what are you doing arresting people for getting thrown out of a window? <laughs> the best line in the entire movie. He's like, what you get? What you going to do if you, someone gets thrown out of a moving car? Get them for jaywalking? <laughs> So to get them out of a moving car, jaywalking, throw out of a fucking window. <laughs> well, well, my my favorite line, and it's not even, it's it's Eddie is basically the straight man in the scene. It's when he meets Bronson Pinchot's Surge for the first time. <laughs> when he meets Surge, and they talk about that weird ass like dining room table art piece that they have sitting in front of him. He's like, I see you look at this piece. He's like, yeah, I was just wondering how much does this cost? He's like, I don't know, 30000 whatever the crazy amount of money is that Serge says. He's like, fuck out of here. He's like, no, I cannot. It's serious. I said it myself. <laughs> <laughs> when he's, like, he's, like, he's like, have you ever sold one of these? He's like, yeah, collector bought one today. He's like, get the fuck out of here. He's like, no, yeah, no, I I'm cannot. serious. serious. <laughs> you want an espresso? I make it myself. Push the lemon. It's nice. <laughs> Bronson Pitchell in this movie is so great. And what he's trying to pronounce, Axel. Aquel, Ahmed, Akhpoli. Is that to see? Now, he's, if I remember correctly, he's even funnier, I think, in the third one. I can't remember if he's in the second one. I'm sure he is. But in the third one, he's got like a Coke problem. At one point, he has like a bag of Coke, like blow up on his face as he's driving. It's pretty great. But yeah, and then. The whole fact that this whole movie is essentially just the the cop the cop story trope of cop doesn't play by the rules cop as something happened can't get too close to whatever case they're working because it's personal so they got to step away and their chief yells at them to stay away from the case so they quote unquote stay away from the case. By absolutely not staying away from the case, but they're doing it like in the background, and Which he's also, on vacation. <laughs> that's, again, they bring up the vacation point. He's like, "You always bring your gun on vacation." I wouldn't know. This is the first time I've been on vacation. First time I've ever been on vacation. Yeah. Judge. So having Judge Reinhold in this movie, I can't take. I can't take him seriously. Well, he's a, well. Billy's not really supposed to be taken seriously. <laughs> Rosewood's supposed to be like the all shucks kind of cop, but he's only really the all shucks cop because of Axel. Like for how brazen and outspoken and brash Axel is, and it's really like Billy's like a child basically compared to him. Every time I watch him in a movie, all I can think is of Brad from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And especially since he's paired with Taggart, when he's paired with John Ashton. 
you know, that pair is like obviously old cop, young cop situation, but Haggard's the serious grizzled cop. Billy's like the young green cop where then Axel's dropped in from a completely different city that actually has crime. You know, he's from Detroit. So he his level of cop experience, they could all be rookies, and he would be like a 10-year veteran of the force simply for being on the Detroit police force as a detective, you know? Yeah. <laughs> he has so much more experience than these guys working in their white-ass Beverly Hills. Which is even funnier because they have like the high end technology, all of that stuff. They're in like a war room. It's like <laughs> it's like their uh, their police department, and it's even funnier because the be- one of the best lines that Eddie has is when he's picked up after being thrown out the window by Victor. He's in the back of the cop car and he's like, "This is the nicest, cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life." <laughs> he's like, "This place is nicer than my apartment." He's like, now he's like, now officers, if uh, we see any celebrities, can you point that, point them out? Because I ain't never seen their shit like that before. <laughs> Treat them like they're tour guides. Yeah, that's. I can't say enough good things about this movie. Like watching it's this, I'm like, why haven't I watched this more? There was a time where I watched this all the time, like all the time. This was a college staple, like watching this in college all the time, and. Because and it's basically because everything that Eddie says is so iconic and classic and absolutely hilarious. Like his bit getting into the country club to talk to Victor as Ramon, the man he met at the clinic, <laughs> met at the club yesterday. <laughs> went to the yeah, clinic today. He's like, uh, you better tell him that. Turned out I have herpes simplex tan. So I might want to get himself checked out before things start falling off on a man. So you might. Uh, I think that would be best. <laughs> I also love him getting into the uh, the customs warehouse. <laughs> this this man gave, me a, gave me a match. Gave me a match for Christ's sake. <laughs> you gave him a match. <laughs> so is that your Porsche out there? Is that your Porsche out there? <laughs> no, sir. That's not my Porsche. I don't know whose Porsche that is. <laughs> Good. Then you're gonna have to worry about that. Now do the shit fast. That's the thing. Like, imagine being. A cop, well, imagine being anybody, just like fast talk a character, and everybody would kind of be like, what the hell? Oh my god, yes, just give this person whatever they need. It's like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Take one second and maybe try to verify anything he's saying, because none of it is true. All of it is very easily proven wrong. <laughs> Though he, he is the epitome of a character of just fake it till you make it. <laughs> Absolutely. And he makes it every single time. Say it with time. enough confidence and people will believe you. Right, exactly. Like the only time in this movie where his character is warranted is in the very beginning when he's trying when he's doing the undercover cigarette sales. That's the only time that like a cop undercover would have to put on a persona that he's doing. Every every other one. Almost just a single phone call would get him found out. You know, almost every time. So, um, do you think he went to the Indiana Ju- Jones school of putting on a character? Yeah, I mean, he, uh, that'd be great if he's like talking his way to castles, trying to look at the tapestries. That'd be fucking great. <laughs> or even like the even speaking of De- Harrison Ford putting on characters as a detective in Blade Runner when he pretends to be, like, the journalist. <laughs> and he gets caught into bring on to the, uh, the snake lady's uh, office or her uh, dressing room. But yeah, it's... 
This movie is so good because even with all of like the comedy and everything, there is still this like murder plot and what's going on with Victor Maitland. And Victor Maitland himself, and speaking of Blade Runner, he could be like Stephen Burkhoff as Victor Maitland would absolutely be Roy Batty's like brother from Blade Runner. Him and yeah. Rucker Hauer and Blade Runner are like almost twins in this, and they sound identical too. And it just it cracks me up that this movie can somehow balance like both of those so well. Whereas nowadays you don't really get that. You either get over the top comedy or you get full on drama with a couple laughs here and there. But this is very much an action comedy. And it's like, this is this is just great. And you believe Axel, as big of a personality as he is. You believe he's like a legit cop too, because he's doing like top shit. Like when he spots the two dudes that are about to uh, about to rob the strip joint, and the way he does it is like, yeah, that dude is wearing a long ass coat in July in L.A. Like that's clearly not something that someone would be wearing, you know. So that's that's a clue. And of course, he sends Taggart over to cover the one guy, and then he does his great Phil character. You know, Phil. <laughs> Oh, dude, that was you, man. So <laughs> oh, give me a kiss, baby. It's, it's just great to watch Eddie Murphy do all this, which when it comes to what the movie we'll get to next, Eddie Murphy in this movie is only playing Eddie Murphy as Axel Foley. Yeah. In creating places, granted, he he is he's Eddie Murphy as Billy Ray Valentine. Coming to America, he is Eddie Murphy. And then he is the man in the barbershop, the old Jewish man in the barbershop. And he's also Randy Watson, the soul singer. But those are like, they're versions of the same, like they're, they're, they're within the realm of possibility, let's say. The old Jewish man is, a, it's very 80s of that character for him to play that character. But he's like, almost very genuine with it. He's a very almost believable. If you didn't know that was Eddie Murphy, you'd be like, okay, that's an odd looking old Jewish man, you know? But yeah. when he gets into his clubs phase where he's playing multiple people and he's especially with Norbin, where he's playing a bunch of different stuff, that's where everything falls apart because then it becomes the Eddie Murphy show and the gag isn't showcasing Eddie's comedy. It's showcasing weird-ass characters, not like normal people. You know, these are outsized weird characters and they really need to not have been played by Eddie Murphy <laughs> even though say like Rasputia in Norbit she was played by like a really actual big woman like I'm not saying this is an equivalent woman in any way but it's the same personality if she was played by say Monique it might be ex more acceptable because that's Monique playing a character you know that's Eddie Murphy Drops to Tyler Perry levels in his late it's, career. Yeah, it's... And it's sad. It's very sad. And it's almost like... It's it's like the Tropic Thunder gag with Jack Black. You know, it's, it's the whatever... I can't remember what the family is. That he, oh, yeah, the fatties. That's it. That's it. The fatties. It's basically that. It's like... It takes us 38 minutes, I think, to get to a fart joke in Norbit. And I was like, wow... Eddie's showing some restraint, I see. 
I also noticed that there was not a single gay joke in Norbit, so they managed to not offend one demographic of people. Which is ironic, because <laughs> in this movie, in Beverly Hills Cop, there's two gay jokes that he goes through. It's like, well, hey. <laughs> but it's, for some reason, in Beverly Hills Cop, it works, because he's a cop trying to talk his way into a place, and for this character, they're not showing him. They're not. They're not really saying that this is the type of cop you should be. Like a lot of copaganda, like cop propaganda movies usually are. With this, it's basically like this is just actual trying to like solve a case and make it. Like he's trying to get answers. Basically, he's not yeah, trying to is, abuse his power. Like I'd say, it's the more comedic version of Die Hard, where they're like they're not saying that like everyone should be a John McClane. But he's getting the job done. Right, exactly. And that's that's where like that's where the type of pop movie that we don't really get anymore because nowadays you can't joke about cops. Apparently everything has to be serious all the time. But with so let's say Beverly Hills Cop with Die Hard, even something like Lethal Weapon, there's when you're done watching that movie, your first thought isn't, hey, I want to be a cop. That's not your first thought. It's unlike Indiana Jones or Jurassic Park, where you're like, hey, I want to be an archaeologist. I want to be a paleontologist. This seems like it would be cool as hell. And that's exactly what happened with those movies. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, like, I was a history minor in my undergrad, and uh, yeah, one of the, the archaeology teachers, he's like, no movie has done more for a profession than Indiana Jones did for archaeology. Exactly, exactly. And <laughs> it's funny because these movies like Beverly Hills Cop like should, if anything, get the guys that want to be cops that have a little personality and are a little bit like not underhanded, but not not devious, but guys that know how to circumvent the system to get things done. Like those dudes should almost want to be like Axel because he's still like he's fighting the good fight. Like he's doing this to solve a murder. He's not doing this because he's crooked. He's doing it to solve a murder of his friend. And you're like, okay, so that shit'll get things done. But of course it is a fictional version of the cop, you know. If if any of this was found out, if Victor Maitland wasn't dead at the end of this, he would absolutely have a case, I think, for like unlawful investigation or whatever. Because nothing that Axel does is by any kind of book at all, you know. <laughs> he's almost like he's almost like a like a private citizen just messing with a man's life, you know. <laughs> so, you know, the most recent movie I could think of where like it made me want to be a cop was super bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that these guys do have some fun, you know? Seth Rogen and Bill Hader, they do yeah. have some fun, you know? Yeah. I'm like, if that's what every day of copping's like, sign me up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, which is which is what makes, like, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, R.I.P. Andre Brower, for fuck's sake, Jesus, man. When I saw that, I was like, holy shit, Captain Holt's dead? Yeah, my so God. Upsetting. It sucks, but when you go back, because my wife, my wife and I love that show, and she's been watching like crazy, because we have, we found out that we get Peacock for free, because we have Instacart, so we were like, oh yeah, great, <laughs> let's watch it, well, that's on there, so she's been watching, and like, the first seven seasons of that show, or six, or whatever it was, are like funny-ass cop stories, and you're like, this would be, f if this was what being a cop in New York was like, this would be fun, but... 
then the whole George Floyd thing happened. And the last two seasons of the show very much get away from the fun cop hijinks and become like, these people happen to be cops, but we're seeing other parts of their lives, you know? And it's like, well, yeah, but you've established six seasons of fun cop shit. Just because the real world got difficult and dark doesn't mean you have to abandon that. Because I think people can tell the difference between reality, something like law and order cops, versus Brooklyn Nine-Nine's cops. And it's like the same thing with Eddie Murphy as Axel Foley and John McClane, like Bruce Willis as John McClane. People are like, yeah, being a detective, if you're in that situation, you'd probably be like, this is the greatest this is the greatest thing I've ever done. Of course, if you survive it, you'd be like, this might be the greatest thing a cop's ever done. But that's not why you wanted to be a cop. Like you didn't want to be fighting terrorists in a in a office building for your life. They're not terrorists, they're thieves. <laughs> damn good professional ones. Get damn good ones at that. Exceptional thieves at that. But also like Diard right, was on last night, and there is not a shit eating character line better than Hans. Bubby. Bubby. Yeah. <laughs> the thing else gets shot there. But then, like, with Axel Foley, you're like, yeah, he's a cop in Detroit, but I don't think there's anybody growing up in, like, the Detroit, Michigan area that's like, I want to be Axel Foley. Like, they know what it really means to be a Detroit cop. <laughs> I think everybody's kind of like, well, this is a humorous version of that. I can laugh at some escapism, you know? <laughs> Not every Doesn't need to be real. It's from Super Troopers. <laughs> Yeah, like being a uh, what is it, New Hampshire, Vermont state trooper for them? That that's although might no, be what life is know, like. being a Vermont state trooper, you might be able to live the super troopers. <laughs> that might be what their life is like. We don't know. No one ever hears about them, so and I can't imagine that they have much else to do. I need to find the story of the crooked cop from Vermont. Like, what even is the biggest city in Vermont? Do they have one? Whatever the capital is. <laughs> Whatever the capital of Vermont is, I'm sure is the one. But uh, isn't that where Ben and Jerry are, too? Like, <laughs> that's most of that country's that uh, state's economy is Subaru and Ben and Jerry's money. But, yeah, it's it's funny because even today, in our 2023, how we view police environment, you can still watch Beverly Hills Cop and laugh your fucking ass off because it's still a funny-ass movie. And it's still like a good, like little, like murder cop, like story. It's like, oh, okay, this is fun, you know. But it's, I, I am super pumped to see how the new one, how Beverly Cop Four XLF is going to be because I don't know. I think Eddie's back at the point where he's like, look, I'm not just hopping on the legacy sequel train. Like, I wanted this to actually be like funny <laughs> and like a good movie, a fairly good movie, even though it is straight to Netflix and. That has its drawbacks to begin with, <laughs> but I think I don't know. I'm pumped. Hopefully, it comes out sooner rather than later. But uh, all right, Mike, it's not about Beverly Hills Cop. We we have to we have to see how our beard's doing, and then we have to talk about Norbit. And that we have to kill ourselves. <laughs> if that's what it comes to, that's what it comes to. All right, so I just finished my can of my Doppelbach, <laughs> and I love that beer. As far as like a good cold weather beer. Einstock's Doppelbach is not only fun to stay, it not only rhymes, it's delicious. <laughs> Einstock Doppelbach. Einstock yeah. Doppelbach. <laughs> Doppelbach. And there's Einstock Olgard. 
but uh yeah i am uh i'm a big fan of this beer too i do quite enjoy it it's uh it's not quite a heavy beer but it's not quite a light beer like it's like right in between it's really good so the next one is my einstock oh they all say older yeah <laughs> that probably that's probably like prost or something or slaughter, so like whatever. Einstock Winter Ale, which is eight percent alcohol. Eight percent, yeah. Those winter warmers, man, they get you. They get it's you. Not so. I like the Doppelbach better. The Winter Ale has a little bit of a sweetness to it, then a little bit of an aftertaste to it. That, I, like, I wouldn't be able to drink it. Like, I feel like the Winter Ale, it, it definitely sits heavier. The Doppelbach, I could definitely, like, chill and sip on for a while. Winter Ale, I think I got to cap off at, like, two or three. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, I'm trying to use, um, trying to use Google Translate to figure out what eager means. But, uh, let's see. What we got here? We got Icelandic. There we go. That's a regular which is the umlauts over it. All right, L-G-E-R-D. Um, it's saying, telling me it's Turkish. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's right. <laughs> Maybe Olgerd is just somebody's name. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, who knows? We'll figure it out. If there's any Icelandic listeners, please get in touch with us and tell us, A, how you guys became like the cool travel destination, and B... How, like, what's the mountain like? Like, is that guy cool? Like, he's Icelandic, isn't he? <laughs> and also, like, how come all your women are just gorgeous, you know? Just tell us about your lovely land of Iceland. <laughs> 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 but, so, since we don't have any Icelanders here, we do have to tell us about their lovely country. We do have to talk about the abomination that is Norbit. Uh, from 2007, now... This is directed by a criminal named Brian Robbins. Now, this dude somehow directed Varsity Blues. Oh, so it's like. So here it is. Einstock means unique or distinctive, and Ogre okay. is just brewery. Well, I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> that makes a lot more sense. We don't yeah, need to that that makes to complete and total sense. Complete and total sense. Yeah, okay. Sorry, Iceland, to get your hopes up. We don't need to talk to you anymore. <laughs> I mean, I'd still like to talk to people from. I mean, yeah, we'd absolutely like to talk to you. I mean, it'd be fun. I think it'd be really fun. But uh, especially the mountain. Let's let's talk to the mountain. That guy seems like he'd be cool. I want to know why Julius Jurgensen. Yeah, I want to. I want to know why he went from being a literal mountain to somehow being more terrifying, chiseled down as an oh, like an ultimate fighter. <laughs> like he went the Brock become... Lesnar route. Right? How did he become more terrifying? <laughs> but. Okay, so let's see. Where, let's see if we can figure out where it all went wrong for Eddie. So we got Beverly Hills Cop. Beverly Hills Cop that was in '84. So we're starting off in '84. Then we have okay. So he did Party All the Time that song in 1985, which that might have been one of the trips. Yeah, that might have been a trip. The Golden Child in '86, which is fine. It's not a. I, it's not one of my favorites, but it's fine. Okay, Beverly Hills Cop two in '87, Coming to America in '88, uh, Harlem Nights in '89, which is him and Pryor, 
It's like, okay, another 48 hours and 90. Okay, not bad. He was in the Michael Jackson Remember the Time video. Then he did Boomerang, uh, The Distinguished Gentleman, another, oh God, another Michael Jackson video, or Michael Jackson was it his video. I don't know. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop 3 in 94. Okay, here we go. Here's where it might have started. Vampire in Brooklyn in 95. That might have started it. Um, yeah, you get Vampire in Brooklyn and the Nutty Professor. And here's the thing. Vampire in Brooklyn, he plays three different characters. Um, Nutty Professor, he plays one, two, three, four, five, six, seven characters. So I'm going to say those two are the start because the multi-character. Like, Eddie Murphy can play two characters. We're tapping you at two, Eddie. <laughs> Yeah, he can play Eddie, he can play an Eddie Murphy, <laughs> or he can play something similar to Eddie Murphy, or maybe an old Jewish guy like coming to America. But then he did Metro, which is not great. Then he was Mushu and Mulan, so there he gets his eternal Disney check. That's he gets then, the uh he gets the voice acting credit that probably eventually gets him Donkey. Yeah, and then he does Dr. Doolittle and Holy Man. Life life isn't bad. I think life's a little underrated. Um, Dr. Doolittle for a kid's movie is fine. It's fine. Yeah. It it was never anything. It wasn't like RDJ's Dr. Doolittle. Like it was supposed to be kind of a stupid family movie, you know? It's exactly that. It's fun. It's stupid. It's a family movie. Then in 99, he did Bowfinger, which is underrated, I would say. And then 2000, Night Professor 2, where he plays more characters somehow. And then, of course, 01 is Shrek, which is when he gets the golden ticket to never have to work ever again in his life. And he does Dr. Doodle 2. Then he does Showtime, which Thor, that's uh, that's him and De Niro, both getting a paycheck, it looks I'm like. I'm going to say the adventures of Pluto Nash is like the real, like, that's the cliff. That's that's where he fell off. I think that's where that's where he really fell off the cliff. And then I Spy, not great. Maddie Daycare, terrible. Haunted Mansion, not great. Not even a good like family movie. Shrek Two brought him back up a little bit as Donkey. That, that was like a parachute. But then, how is I've never seen Dreamgirls. Well, that's the thing. Now here's where Norbit comes into play because Dreamgirls was in 06. Dreamgirls was his. As James Thunder Early, he came back and he was like, this is the dramatic role that bringing Eddie back. Like, Eddie, the dramatic actor, is finally here. And everyone, like, universally was like, he is great in this movie. He was nominated for an Oscar for it. Norbit comes out in the time between when his Dreamgirls performance happens and the Oscars for that performance happen. And everyone is universally of the belief because of Norbit, he did not win his Dream Girls Oscar because everyone was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We can't let this man get an Oscar. <laughs> that that is not right. That's, it's like so it's like he fell off the cliff. Shrek 2 and Dream Girls are his parachute. Then Norbit comes out and it's like, you know the episode of American Dad where Roger has the limo and he's like hunting down the college kids that stiffed him on the ride? Sure. They're they're falling out of a plane. 
like after he killed the last one of the ones that stiffed him, and he has a parachute and he's flying next to a stewardess and he just pulls out or he just unclips her parachute and falls to her death. And Klaus is like, Roger, what are you doing? He's like, I have the bloodlust. That's what Norbit did to his career. Like he had the parachute. He was gonna he was gonna make a nice landing after Shrek 2 and Dream and uh Dream Girls, and then someone unclipped his parachute and it was Norbit. Absolutely, absolutely, and because then after that it's Shrek the Third, which is the uh, worst, objectively the worst Shrek movie. I mean, and that's that's it's only the third of those movies because there's more Shreks after that. Hey, when Shrek was, Forever After, way better. Than, not a good movie, but definitely better than Shrek the Third. I don't think I've seen it. But then there was Meet Dave. Meet Dave was bad. Meet Dave was a straight head. Um. Then there was something called Imagine That. I don't know what that was. Shrek Forever After in 2010. Donkey's Christmas Spectacular the same year. Shrek's Yule Log. Oh, Tower Heist. Tower Heist was when everyone was like, oh, this is him. This is Vince Vaughn or Ben Stiller. Uh, it's Ben Stiller. That's what it was. It was, it was Ben Stiller. It was Matthew Broderick. Alan Alda's involved. Like, there are a lot of funny people. Taylor Leone, Michael Pena. But Everyone was kind of like, yeah, no, this isn't good either. And then a thousand words, which is when everyone was kind of like, Eddie, just stop. You got to stop, man. This this can't keep happening. <laughs> you really have to stop. And then it was just nothing. Quite some time. And then Mr. Church, whatever that is, uh, Dolomite is my name, which people in 2019, he was kind of like, all right, Eddie might be back. Like the dramatic Eddie might be coming back. And me, me and, and then my com- friend just watched Black Dolomite. Black Dynamite? No, D- Dolomite. Oh, the original? Yeah. Such a great movie. <laughs> Rudy Ray Moore, such a great movie. It's phenomenal. But uh, yeah, then coming to America in 2021, not great, but not awful. You know, could have been could have been worse. Uh, you People, which was him, and it's basically Look Who's Coming to Dinner, I think, with um, Jonah Hill and... I don't know, somebody else. But then he does Candy Cane Lane is his newest thing. And that's that like Christmas movie. That's like just a kid movie on Prime or something. So Axel is going to be his next one. Axel Foley, Axel F is going to be his next one. And I think that's when we're going to really see if the old Eddie is like coming back because okay, we got like we got that's gotta be a dry run to see if we're getting twins too with him as the Oh yeah, triplets. Yeah, that would be that. That would be great. That would be so great because Danny, Danny's at the place in his career where he doesn't give a shit. No. Arnold, Arnold might be the problem in that. In that, because Arnold, as much as I love the man, is very much like, and he's very conscious about his image for some reason. Like I don't know why he's for some reason he's very intent on like just keeping that image of Arnold you know there like he has no it's not like Danny where Danny DeVito knows he's Danny DeVito so he's gonna do whatever the fuck he wants to do and it doesn't matter he's been playing Frank for almost two decades (laughs) and he's and people have loved him for playing one of the most despicable characters on television and it's phenomenal even he can even do those Jersey Mike heads 
that are so annoying. But the fact that Danny DeVito's in them, you're kind of like, I kind of want to go to Jersey Mike's. <laughs> he's, one of those, he's just a celebrity that can almost do no wrong. Exactly. And I feel like if Axel F is good, then Danny might agree to do triplets. And they'll just have to get Arnold back involved. And they'll have to get an Arnold that's not like, not like Stallone. Because Stallone is very much like, even to this day, he's never really gotten away from the image management. Like, he's always got to be Stallone for some reason. He's always got to be like the big swinging dick and whatever. But if they can get Arnold to just be a goofball again, I think would be all right. (laughs) I'm not saying Oral's gotten serious at all. I'm just saying that if we could get him to be his original Twins character, I think it would be it, it would have a shot at being funny. But well, unlike Norbit, which absolutely had no chance of being funny, simply by the fact that Eddie Murphy is playing a 300-pound woman named Rasputia and also playing another character as our main character of Norbit, which what... What is the the lip thing that Norbit has? Why does it need to be a thing? Like, why did Eddie choose what he did for all of these characters, let alone the old Chinese man? Why did that have to be Eddie and not James Hong? That should have just been James Hong. Yeah, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> it's It's rough because, and I will say this, beginning of this movie i i was chuckling a little bit i was like okay this is kind of fun but i did have a legitimate laugh the only legitimate laugh out loud movement movie uh moment of the movie was the montage of rasputia and norbit having like preparing to have sex where she kept tackling him into the bed and breaking it and he was like dressed up as the various different holidays that they were having sex for. So one was President's Day, and he gets tackled, and you hear him just scream, "God bless America!" And then he's pretending to be a cop, and he gets tackled, and he's screaming, "Officer down, officer down!" It was like, all right, it's funny, but everything after that, nothing is funny. Absolutely nothing is funny. Yeah, and I was watching that scene, and I was like. Did Deadpool did Deadpool get inspiration from fucking Norbit? <laughs> that would be funny. That would be funny if Ryan Reynolds came out and was like, you know what inspired us to do this? The sex scenes with uh, the holiday sex scenes? Norbit. <laughs> it was absolutely Norbit. And for some reason, I can see Ryan Reynolds doing that too. <laughs> like somehow watching Norbit in a hotel or something like that. And being like, you know what? I got an idea. <laughs> Me and Marina Bacher and we're just gonna go at it for National International Women's Day. <laughs> and I'm gonna get pegged because of Norbit. <laughs> but this this movie is difficult. It's difficult. Okay, the they only spend literally every group except gay people in this. Yeah, there's nobody gay in this, and. If anything, not including gay people might be the offensive part. It's like, you got everyone else. Why not gay people? <laughs> but, uh, like, so I've never been so bored yet so disgusted by a movie. The, 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 the utter wasting of a lot of great comedic actors. Like, Harry Cruz is in this movie. 
Terry Crews is hilarious in this movie. And he plays Rasputin's uh, younger brother. And hold on. I keep having to sneeze and it's not happening. <laughs> but so he, he's, he, Rasputia has three younger brothers, Terry Crews and two other dudes. And the, the only funny line that I, the only time I laughed at Terry Crews, which is a crime because Terry's a funny guy, is again in the beginning when it seems like they got all their good jokes out. When you find out that Norbit's quote unquote favorite food is turkey ass. <laughs> And Terry Crews like throws it in front of him. He's like, turkey ass, eat up, sucker. <laughs> and then the next day at work, he tells Norbert, because Norbert does their uh, accounting, does their books for his construction firm that they have. Terry Crews looks at him and goes, Norbert, I'm expecting some important calls today, so try to sound white. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's a funny joke, you know? But everything after that is just fucking wasted. And I could have used, this could have been, this should have been an R-rated movie. And we should have gotten a very extended bit or extended bits with Eddie Griffin and Cat Williams as those pimps. They absolutely should have gotten so much more screen time than they did. But what they do get, they do make the most of. I'll at least give them that. So I'm looking at the director for this movie, Brian Robbins. I wouldn't. His career is like, all right, so we like started directing on Nickelodeon. He started with all that Good Burger and Keenan and Kel. Which is why he did the Good Burger movie. <laughs> yep. I don't know if he did the sequel, though. Then he had Varsity Blues. Right. Yep. Then a whole yep. bunch of stuff I never heard of. It looks like one sort of horror movie starring the older brother from Malcolm in the Middle. Then he gets to the Shaggy Dog. Okay. Yeah. Then Norbit, then Meet Dave. Then Blue Mountain State, he actually does direct some episodes for. I do like Blue Mountain State, but like, goddamn, like, how did Varsity Blues work his way into that career? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's that was probably since it was like an MTV Pictures. They were probably like, this dude will do our movie. Let's just do it. Like, we we have it's early night, it's in the 90s. People still have like creative vision for their movies. So this we we have a little bit of say as MTV on how shit goes down. So it might have been a collab collaboration between MTV and this dude. Mostly MTV being like, we know what's cool and funny, so let's let's put it in there. And then they lucked out and made Varsity Lose a watchable movie that had that had memorable scenes in it. But a lot of I think Varsity Blues you can attribute to James Vanderbeek and John uh Voigt as being their characters, you know. To the basics. Stick to the basics. <laughs> and Moxie, you gotta be the dumbest market I ever met. But with this, you can tell that he is just behind the camera. And it's all Eddie. Because the craziest thing about this movie is that the biggest tension in the movie making it was between Eddie and the legendary Rick Baker. Rick Baker did the makeup for this stuff. And he and Eddie were constantly fighting constantly yeah. and it's like dude you have one of the best makeup people in the business and you're pissing him off are you serious <laughs> what kind of asshole do you have to be this is like somehow a worse version of like big mama's house yeah it's it's not good 
It's definitely not because And it's even like a worse version than like Medea. <laughs> I mean, and that's the thing, at least with Medea, Tyler Perry, like you can tell, knows that character in and out. Like he knows Medea and he knows who Medea is, and he is able to just be Medea. The problems with the Medea movies are usually never with Medea. <laughs> the problems are usually everything going on the around Hallmark Medea. plot with worse than Hallmark actors. Exactly, exactly. Um, with this, though, you can tell that it is just the Eddie Murphy show, which has already been off the rails for a few years, and his ego is so big that since he's Eddie Murphy, you can't talk to him because he's fairly powerful. He's got that Shrek money. He's got Shrek power. So he can do whatever the fuck he wants because he's Eddie Murphy. But it's it's almost like Mike Myers, you know, where when Mike Myers got too much money, especially when he got that Shrek money, he got the leading role in Shrek money. He got the literal Shrek money. And that's when his Canadian-ass ego went off the rails and he was the Found out to be the worst person in the world. Whereas Eddie, I think, is just a victim of having a hit, huge ego, but with no one to keep him in check. And whereas he wasn't, um, he's not inherently a monster like Mike Myers, like Mike Myers is. Eddie apparently just was a little bit too big. He had too big a head and too much power with no one around you of any respect you know, or with any clout, that's going to run away. And that's what happens in Norbit. Like, that's how Respusha becomes such a, not no pun intended, big character. <laughs> the fact that he tries to give her a catchphrase with that, how you doing, is like, it's, it's obnoxious. It's like, okay, you get to say that maybe once, maybe twice. You can't say it 10 times in a row at the end of the movie trying to make an actual catchphrase. It just doesn't work, Eddie. No, stop. <laughs> and everyone involved in this movie i think from at least from what tandy Wayne newton was saying like i said in interviews is that everyone was kind of like she felt bad for eddie because she could see like the strain that he was under trying to make this thing happen and everyone i think knew that it probably shouldn't have but they couldn't say no to eddie you know because he's eddie murphy and that was a problem <laughs> because there's no one if you look at this cast there's no one involved with it that has any kind of power or leverage against Eddie. And that's bad. (laughs) That's where you get cat in a hat shit like Mike Myers. Yeah. Even cat in the hat. It's like, it's so deranged that it's semi watchable because you're like, what the fuck is happening here? Yeah. And, and the problem is, and when you think about it, Mike Myers and Eddie Murphy are very much similar careers. Saturday Night, like, the, the way they start is different. Like, Eddie started on fire in Hollywood, like, white hot in Hollywood. Couldn't miss. Get Saturday Night Live is the ultra breakout star of that show. He is the, he is the reason the 80s aren't, SNL aren't remembered as badly as, like, the 2000s of SNL. Exactly. And so then he's able to branch out and do both, really. Like, he's he's able to keep the money, the, the movie thing going and all that. Whereas Mike Myers comes on to Saturday Night Live after Eddie. 
has brought it back from the dead. He's part of one of the best ensemble SNL casts ever. <laughs> and he breaks out of that with Wayne's World and Wayne's World 2. And even so, I married an axe murderer to an extent. And he's able to build his, you know, cachet. And then he hits Shrek. And they both hit Shrek at the same time, obviously, because we're both in the same movie. But the problem, I think, happened is at some point they talked to each other. And they must have said, hey, I'm going to start doing multiple characters in my movies. <laughs> are you going to do that too? Or maybe let's see if the black guy can make it work or the white guy can make it work. Let's see which one of us can make it work. So, and, and, and you gotta, you gotta argue that Austin powers did it better than the nutty professor Norbit. Absolutely. He absolutely did. And it's a shame because when you look at the actual person that's involved with those two movies with eddie murphy i would so much rather see eddie murphy do anything than mike because i'd rather hang out with eddie murphy any day of the week absolutely absolutely there's no question of who deserved to be the bigger star here and arguably it's still eddie murphy eddie murphy is still eddie murphy like there is no other eddie murphy mike myers a lot of the times is associated with his characters and sometimes even with his co-stars like even with garth like even with dana carvey as garth but eddie murphy is always eddie murphy you know he is that name but what's even crazier about this is that this was co-written by eddie and his brother the late charlie murphy and there's a lot of times where you watch this movie and you go, how much of this was Eddie? How much of this was Charlie? <laughs> because Charlie, while funny on Chappelle's show, and certainly, oh, excuse me, certainly funny as the crippled dog or whatever, the dog in this movie, he plays, he does the voice of the dog at one point. So it's like, yeah, that's kind of funny, but Charlie wasn't Eddie. And even Charlie himself would say he wasn't his brother. And Eddie was the far and away more talented one. But at that point, Eddie was skating. He was just like, I got my mansions. I got my Shrek money. I got my Mulan back up if I want a new boat. You know, it's, I don't need to try. But I want to keep making movies. So I'm going to just make whatever the fuck comes to mind. And unfortunately, that's how you get Norbit. That's how you get Meet Dave. That's how you get a thousand words. That's how you get the fucking Nutty Professor too, for Christ's sake. And all of it is just almost unwatchable. And that's why you kind of have to go back and watch Beverly Hills Cop and Trading Places and Coming to America to remember how great it was, you know? <laughs> You go back and be like, oh, this is where it was all just untouchably amazing. <laughs> and now, oh boy, now we're just hoping that Eddie's able to come back. Like he's we're hoping that it's gonna come around. We can forget the dark years, you know? <laughs> yeah. We can forget the dark times. <laughs> Whereas Mike yeah, Myers. It, like, it doesn't have to hit the peaks that it hit in the early years, but he's gotta hit a level that makes us fonder of the early years. Like, we watch and we go, this reminds me of when he was elite. Exactly. And, oh, man, it's rough. It's just rough because nothing in this movie, the only, the only thing that really impressed me in this movie is how Tandaway Newton can sound like every white rom-com love interest. Did you notice that? 
Yeah. It doesn't sound like she does now. And she, as far as I remember, as far as I know, she's British, right? Like, yeah, she's British. And she sounds like every white chick in like a lifetime movie. And I was like, how is she doing this? <laughs> she's like, she's truly one of our greatest actors. <laughs> but she's giving the performance in this movie that's really making me think. <laughs> Granted, I'm not thinking about it in terms of emotions or anything. I'm trying to figure out how the hell she's sounding like this. <laughs> Whether or not she had to do it on purpose. But it's there's so much going on here that lines like Cat Williams's It's raining little white women, my prayers have been answered, somehow hit. And I'm like, I know that's funny, but I can't laugh at it. I just physically can't because I have my humor has died for the last 90 minutes. <laughs> I just cannot I cannot laugh anymore. That's, what was the runtime of this movie? Because it felt like four hours. It feels like four. You're right. But I'm pretty sure this movie is a cool hour and 42 minutes. That's an hour and 42 minutes too long. Okay, I would argue it's an hour and 41 too long because that one minute montage of Rasputia crushing Morbid. Pretty funny. <laughs> Pretty funny. If we could make a short skit out of that, that'd be funny, and that'd be it. But, I, I mean, you do you get Eddie Murphy, I mean, you get Eddie Griffin and Cat Williams as these pimps. Now, mind you, their pimp names are phenomenal. Their pimp names are, let me pull it up, are Eddie Griffin is Pope Sweet Jesus, and Cat Williams is Lord Have Mercy. <laughs> Those are amazing pimp names. <laughs> they are. But why are there two in this neighborhood? <laughs> I mean, and how small of a town is it that there would even be pimps at all, you know? Like, why would these guys even be here? That's true. But it's, oh man, it's bad. It's just really bad. Oh boy. Cuba Gooding Jr., we didn't even mention, is in this movie. He's present. Yeah, he's definitely around. <laughs> He's certainly in this movie for about 30 seconds. And it's funny because he, his first on-screen appearance is in one of Eddie Murphy's greatest movies in Coming to America. He is boy getting his haircut in Coming to America. And he has no lines, which one of the better performances of his career, you know? But this is not Rod Tidwell. Like, Rod Tidwell is long gone for Cuba as well, you know? And it's just... And then, then there's the repeated appearances of eddie as an old asian man and oh boy oh boy the only time i even kind of chuckled was at the end when he mysteriously shows up on the street at night to talk to norbit and he tells him that he had a daughter and he says when she was two years old i traded her for a yak that kind of thing happened in china from time to time yak very hard to come by and then norbert responds with oh yeah sure i respect that <laughs> it's like okay and he had a good little lie like sequence there but set up in a punchline and it worked <laughs> but what happened the rest of the content <laughs> it's one of those movies it's so offensively bad that when the funny little creative lines happen, you almost get angered by them. <laughs> because you're yeah. like, where was this the rest of the movie? <laughs> yeah, if this was the entire movie, I might have liked it. <laughs> I might have had some fun. Other than that, 
I was unable to enjoy myself watching this movie. And it's 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 really bad because Eddie, I think if somebody had reined Eddie in and said, hey, you can only play one other character in your movies, only one. And you can't share screen time with your other character. These two characters cannot share screen time. Like you gotta do like the nutty professor. If he strictly played the two personalities of the professor. Yes. Yeah. I don't think it would be a great movie, but I think it'd be better than it is. It would be. If he was just what's what's that character's name? Buddy Love or whatever. And then uh Professor Clump or whatever it is. Like that would be it would be it would be better. Yeah. It, but then he has to play the entire fucking family. And it's like this is if anything, this is a YouTube sketch or a Saturday Night Live sketch. It's not an entire movie. No. You can't make a movie out of this, man. And or these characters only happen in one scene. One scene. You get to play the dinner scene in that in a night professor with Hercules. Hercules, Hercules. Like you get to do that, and you only get to do it once. Other than that, you only get to play one character on for the rest of the movie. And the fact that and it's again like I hate to keep bringing up Mike Myers because Eddie Murphy is so much better than Mike Myers, but the fact that Eddie Murphy and Mike Myers had essentially the same career trajectory after a certain point is incredibly frightening to me because that just goes to show that undeserved success can be just as good as one of the funniest, most successful people in Hollywood falling from grace. It's like there's just something so unfair about. Them. Mike Myers can fall ass backward into fame by being by being kind of funny, and whereas the legitimately funny person has to like just fall off the rails, you know. And it's it sucks because we were subjected to some terrible shit from Eddie Murphy. Granted, but at least the the light at the end of the tunnel is, and the silver lining is, Eddie is coming back. Eddie is trying to come back, and he's trying to do it the right way. Whereas Mike Myers, thankfully, has been forgotten. <laughs> or is at least a heavily makeup cameo in random ass movies. <laughs> like Bohemian Rhapsody. And then occasionally Shrek. <laughs> what? And then occasionally Shrek in some short. Yeah, and you can let him be Shrek, whatever. He, it's fine. People stop paying, the sh- to, uh, paying attention to Shrek. You, you long keep time Shrek. You, you, you... Yeah, just, just stay Shrek, dog. But it's... It sucks. It really does because, and I, I hope coming to, to America wasn't awful, but it wasn't great, and it should have been better. But I was like, you know what? At least he's trying to make this an actual movie. It's not just, hey, remember this, you know. Whereas, yeah. and I think that's what Eddie's. That's what Eddie's going to do. Eddie's going to do with Axel Foley. He's going to be like, hey, this isn't going to be a victory lap because the third one wasn't great, so there's nothing to be have a victory lap about. But. In that movie, I think he's going to be at least trying to bring Axel back. He might not be as good as he is in this in the first one, but he's going to at least be a version of Axel Foley that makes sense for a like sixty year old man or whatever Eddie Murphy is now, you know, as opposed to like Harrison Ford and Dial of Destiny, where 
Indiana Jones is might as well just die on screen, you know? It's like we, we might as well retire the actor with the character. Just have him die while playing. <laughs> this is this is one step too far, dude. But that would be an actor dying on screen and effectively killing his career. Yeah. Next week, though, we're gonna talk about a career that can never die. <laughs> so it is the immortal career. So Mike before we too that. pure. To die. <laughs> That's right. So, Mike, before we get into that, though, what can people find us on the internet? You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and just about anywhere you get your podcasts from. Thanks to Spotify Podcasts. You also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Happy Hour Films Podcast. All right. So, we have talked about Costner. We've talked about Travolta. We've talked about Eddie. Now, those guys all had movies that killed their careers. Whereas this man, that we're going to talk about next week as the final episode of 2023 has a career so bulletproof and so untouchable. Lesser men would have had their careers ended by some of these movies. Long, long ago. There would have been, there had been many stages of this man's career that the first couple of pitfalls would have killed bigger men. They would have killed lesser actors. It would have killed lesser human beings. But this man as we have said on here, is the greatest of all time, or at least tied for the greatest. But we had to pick one of the two, and we picked our friend Nicholas Cage. So we are going to be talking about three movies of Nick Cage's that could have. Now, these are three different movies that should have killed his career. That should have been like, you know what? This is the end for Nick. Nick, maybe let's just stop here. So we're going to be talking about, and it's going to be almost holiday themed because we're going to start with trapped in paradise then we're going to do bangkok dangerous and then we're going to talk about drive angry which i believe also features one dead career actress amber heard (laughs) yeah (laughs) he had to shit in johnny depp's bed to kill her career eddie murphy only had to make more you know (laughs) so at least he didn't shit in someone's bed but nick cage on the other hand and Mike, you'll probably be, you'll probably want to know this because I just noticed it on Hulu the other day. Nick Cage has a new movie this year and it's on Hulu and it looks phenomenal. <laughs> it's called The Retirement Plan. <laughs> okay. Now I'm going to read the synopsis of this movie. When Ashley and her young daughter, Sarah, get caught up in a criminal enterprise that puts their lives at risk, she turns to estranged father, Matt, currently living in the re- currently living the life of a retired beach bum in the Cayman Islands. Nicholas Cage is that father living in the retired islands. Now, the, that is the IMDb synopsis. The one on Hulu kind of makes it seem like he's like an ex-John Wick kind of guy. <laughs> so I... I can't wait to watch this movie. <laughs> I'm just going to end up watching it. It's probably going to be the last thing I watch for 2023. But for next week, we will be watching Trapped in Paradise, Bangkok Dangerous, and Drive Angry. Now, until that time, I have been Ross Bacon. I've been Mike McWiggin. And we'll see you guys next time. So long.